0: Quick fixes are always slower. That's another thing you should remember. The quick fix is almost always slower.
1: Welcome to the Father and Son Podcast where my father and I discuss anything that's been on our minds lately. This week we're beginning a new series where Bubba takes me through concepts that he thinks are important for me and the rest of his kids to know in the future and for the rest of our lives. If you enjoy this podcast, please check out our social medias and give us a follow in the description of the podcast episode. (laughs) Hey, Hey, Yusuf. How are you? I'm great. So, in this week's episode, we decided to start something new. We're gonna start a kind of a kind of series, I guess you could call it, where you talk to me about concepts that you think are important for me to know, and we use the podcast to get it across because when we're in the podcast, like I'm really listening. So, we thought it would be a good idea to start this kind of series to for you to impart knowledge in me that you think is important for me and
0: your kids to know okay yeah exactly i i think that's a great idea and this is a great platform for us to do that because like you said you're a captive audience you actually have to listen to me instead of just looking glazily at me and saying okay i get it i get it i get it um so there's a bunch of ideas that i think it's important for you to know that i've learned And a bunch of skills, I think, that are really important for all of my children to know. And not just my children, but any child should know. And Um, what are some of those skills? For example, I think... I think in this day and age, everyone should be, for example, a great writer. They should be able to compose and write something effectively, concisely. I think that's one skill that... I want all my children to have. And another skill is the ability to speak, to give a speech. That's hugely valuable. Not that hard, but people are terrified of giving a speech. And so at one point, talk about that. Talk about how to give a speech, to get over yourself, to get over your fears, etc. Other skills... um, our physical skills, for example, I think all my kids, for example, should know how to swim. Uh, but then there's also thinking tools. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you mean by thinking tools? For example, what I want to talk about today, is systems thinking. It's a way of seeing the world. It's a way. It's thinking tools to help you process the world, and that's what I want to focus on today. But so there's a bunch of different things that we can cover over, you know, different podcasts. Like, for example, I believe it's vitally important that my children and children in general know how to code. Um, it's The barrier to entry is very low, and it's very important. I think it's important to be, even be able to build your own computer, demystify what's inside of the computer. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But in general, there are things that every parent learns that you can save them a lot of time by explaining it to them rather than having to relearn it themselves, having to go through it, having to go through it. So there is life lessons and things like that, which we talk about quite often, but then there's also skills. There is physical skills. There's skills in your career, but there's also thinking tools. And today one of those useful thinking tools that have served, served me and actually, Served many of the executives that I work with, for example, like systems thinking. I think it's a useful idea and concept that you begin to understand and learn and become aware of. Because ultimately, our children should be levels above us. Uh-huh. you know. And it's not fair that we don't pass on what we've learned to our children. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to society. Does In order
1: for society to evolve, every generation has to add something new. But if we just leave everybody to figure
0: out the same thing, we're not going to go anywhere. I mean, you'll go somewhere. Where you'll go a lot slower. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, this is... It's not just about me setting you up financially, which I don't plan on doing anyway. Thanks. <laughs> no problem. Um, by the way, that's, that's a good topic to, yeah, to discuss. Like, Are what? you going to give me any money? No podcast (laughs) over so um but yeah so that's the idea of this series is what what's useful ideas that i think you should understand and what i wanted the first one to start with was systems thinking okay so what is systems thinking so systems thinking is a broad set of ideas but in general the best way to understand systems thinking is that everything is interconnected. Everything is an interconnected system, right? So what's an example of a system is your body. Okay. So we, we, are, we are conditioned to think in sort of linearly, you know, cause and effect. But in general, the world doesn't work in straight lines. It works in circles. And what do you mean by "circ"? What do you mean it works like, in circles? Like everything is interconnected. So, for example, let's let's before because right now I'm jumping off too abstract. Your body itself is a system. So, what is a system? A system is something that consists of two or more parts, and the the behavior of one inter uh, affects the other, and there's every system has an essential property that none of the components of the system have itself everything i just said probably makes no sense to you yeah i mean it does make sense but like. so what's the essential property of your body the heart no what's the essential property what do you mean the essential property the essential property is that life okay so, your body lives, you're alive, right? None of the actual components of your body can live in isolation. They all need each other. Yeah, to, to service the essential property. So, for example, one famous example by a guy named Russ Aikoff says, he says he's a famous systems thinker. So he says, like, I'll prove to you right now that your, your body only the total body lives. Cut off your hand. Put it on the table and see what what it does. It dies. It really dies. So none of the actual components or the parts of the system has in of itself the essential property. All of it together come and, and provide the essential property. What's the essential property of a car? Movement. Yeah, it moves. Right? It goes from point A to point B. Yeah. None of the parts... In of the car can can move by themselves the
1: engine can't move if it's just there the wheels can't move if not pushed by an engine the engine needs the wheels every exactly
0: so systems thinking is the practice of seeing the interconnectedness of things where we are we are um trained to instead of looking at the entire system to focus on a particular part right focus on particular problems so even even in medicine so I just said that your whole body is a system of interconnected things, that the behaviors affect one thing. You you change this, it has impacts on six other parts of the system. But in medicine in general, if there's a problem in your body, what does medicine seek to do?
1: Solves that problem without thinking about what happens to anything. So if you take, say you have a sore throat or like me, you're congested. You take something that relieves your nose but you don't know what's happening to the other parts of your body, like like chemotherapy, right? It's kill it's killing the cancer, yeah, and it's removing the problem, but at the same time, it's killing
0: everything else. Exactly. Or for example, uh, antibiotics kills the bad bacteria, but kills the good bacteria, right? And so there's systemic, there's systemic um, uh, implications, and a systems thinker. Is able to take a step back and see all the different parts of the system, right? That that everything is interconnected. Everything in this world is interconnected, and there are systems of systems of systems, right? So, for example, to some, the essential property of this planet is to sustain life. So, if your the essential property of you as a human is life, and the planet is to sustain life, and real systems thinkers can understand what we're doing to this planet and that's why many of the those really concerned with what's happening to the planet find the field of s- systems thinking very intuitive to them because they're good at that they're, because if you're some if you're a ga- if
1: you're a gas executive or coal executive all you're looking at is what i'm doing provides electricity to people you're not looking at the environmental problems of it You're
0: not even thinking of providing gas for people if you're an executive. You're focused on one thing above all else. Making money. Yes. You're you're focused on making money. And when you're focused on something, like making money, this in systems thinking is called, and I want you to remember this term because it'll make you sound very smart, local optimization. Okay. So local optimization is when you're focused on a particular part of the system and you're optimizing it above all else and not looking at the overall system.
1: Like if you're on a football team and you have an amazing player and the coaches only fo- only talk to them and only try to improve them, but the rest, they just leave.
0: Exactly. That's a great example of a local optimization thinking mistake. So whenever you locally optimize or focus on part of the system, you suboptimize optimize the whole. Right when you locally optimize on a player, and do everything to that player, and focus on the player and the player, the player, the player, you'll suboptimize the whole. And so, think about a team. What's the per, what's the purpose of a team? What's the op- to win games to win games. And so, if you're fo- locally optimizing on the one star player, you're gonna suboptimize the whole, which means what? Which means you're not gonna win games. Which means you're not gonna win games. So in the end, it doesn't make sense. In the end, it doesn't make sense. So an important tenet of systems thinking is, whenever you locally optimize or focus on part of the system, you'll sub-optimize the whole. I think that's like with anything though. But look, look at the federal budget. If you
1: give one thing way too much things, like way too much money, everything else will have too little money. That's a pro. Isn't that a problem that the government goes through? Because when you, when you're creating a budget for something, you have to. You're not going to give every single department the same amount of money. The military is going to get trillions more than what agriculture is going to get. So I'm sure agriculture thinks it's wildly underfunded, right? So I think isn't that just for everything? Isn't everything,
0: in a sense, locally optimized to some people? Yeah, many things are locally optimized because it's the easiest thing to do. Think about if you have. It's not just, it's the easiest and the quickest. So, if you have an ailing problem in your body, you know, look, if you deal with the system, it will actually just... It's just patching it up. It'll give you an immediate feedback. It'll solve the problem. So, for example, a a child with a temperature. Uh Uh-huh. Temperature goes up. What do you give them? You, 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 I don't you, know. What, what do you give children? Well, you, you, you fever medicine? You give them fever medicine to bring the temperature down. But what's your body doing? Your body is actually elevating its temperature to heal itself. Yeah. So you're actually, by reducing the temper, temperature, you're giving temporary comfort by elongating the pain. And that's another important tenet of systems thinking. The solution, the systemic solution, usually takes a long period of time. Solving the problem takes a long period of time. And in general the disease the, the cure is worth worse than the disease. Is that why my mom my mom hasn't been giving me any flu medicine? Yes, that's why you get no flu flu medicine. Because she is allowing temporary periods of discomfort to solve the actual problem naturally. N- naturally and catalyzing the solution by helping the system along by giving it what it needs as opposed to giving you immediate relief but making the problem worse so she's doing the opposite of locally optimizing she's an intuitive systems thinker when it comes to your health <laughs> and so if you think I'll give you another example of a really interesting systems thinker Michael Burry the big short the big short guy so what is it that he did he looked at the system in it, in its entirety He looked at the system entirely and said, this doesn't make any sense. And it's all interconnected. The housing department was too locally optimized? Everything was optimized for one thing at that time. The housing market. Well, it's not just the housing market. Everyone was focused on one thing above all else, which was profit. Yeah. And so the banks found a way to create these products that provided unbelievable returns right so they were providing double digit returns for products that were triple a rated what does triple a rated mean that's a good question so you have these ratings agencies so let's just say you are an investment bank right you create an investment bank and you you create a financial product that people can buy and so you buy this product call it the use of default swap, right? All right. And you somebody puts in a million dollars and it's providing 10% return on that million dollars. That's a really great return. So people say, all right, but what's the rating? This is, this is too good to be true. The ratings, there's separate ratings agencies that come and look at these products, the use of default swap, that's giving 10% or 20% return and they give it either a triple A rating or a triple B rating or a junk rating. The ratings agencies were saying that these things are triple A rating. That means they're gold. They won't crack. They're, they're fantastic. So why would a company or why would a mutual fund or why would an investor buy a treasury bill or something that's providing them four percent when they can pr- buy something that's equally triple A rated. But giving them ten percent. Giving them ten percent. And so a lot of people globally were buying this stuff because they're triple A rated by this separate, you know, ratings agencies. To be able to create these products, what was the base material for people's money? It wasn't to be able to create these products, they needed um, they needed mortgages, right? They needed, that's the raw material. People's mortgages like for their houses and things? Yes. They would buy those mortgages from the banks, bundle them up and create these products called credit default swaps. that are providing these 10% returns. So you would buy the mortgage from the bank and you'd get the then interest the, from... The investment bank would buy the mortgages from the banks that's the raw material. They would bundle them up and create a new thing called a credit default swap and sell those credit default swaps to investors around the world.
1: So they're just selling people's mortgages and the investors are getting whatever interest from from those mortgages?
0: Yes, something like that. You know, they're, they're, it's all... But they needed, they need millions of these mortgages. They bundle them up into these... Credit default swaps. It's it's so they slice them up into tranches, et cetera, and they start selling them off, right? And they need not good loan. They need n- n- bad loans, effectively, and by bad loans, loans that per- charge very, 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 very high interest, right? Okay. And so, where do you get this stuff from? Anybody in the U.S. could get a mortgage because the banks couldn't prov- they could they wanted they were like insatiable give me as many of these these mortgage loans as you can these bad loans even there was something called a ninja loan what's a ninja loan no income no job verification and and the bank would give you a loan so let's just say so
1: you could be making zero dollars and have nobody to back you up and they'll give
0: you money they give you money and you can have four homes so yusuf can have a house in miami a house in new york and not and have zero dollars and have zero dollars how does that make sense (laughs) exactly how does that make any sense and the housing market was going ballistic right because now everybody can buy a house if you're getting if you're
1: getting a ninja thing everybody can buy a house. everybody
0: can buy a house and buy multiple houses and not just that people are buying houses as investments and the market keeps on going up and so yusuf would say i can buy a house now for $700,000, it'll be worth $800,000 next year. And you have a three hundred thousand dollars I have $300,000. And so Yusuf all of a sudden is a real estate tycoon. And so this everyone's making so much money. The U.S. housing market is skyrocketing. The banks are making so much money. They're re- relaxing controls. There's a lot of stuff happening, right? It's all easy for us to see now in hindsight. But when you're in the middle of it, it's harder to see. Exactly. It's very hard to see. But Michael Burry saw it. He saw it and he saw he took he widened his gaze and he looked at the entire system how it's interconnected and the whole thing didn't make sense and then he foresaw the collapse of the us hu- housing market and he entered a position to short all this whole entire it's like shorting tesla
1: right now or it, it, but shorting tesla, Wait, is, sure, tesla, shorting Tesla makes sense. It's, it's like shorting Tesla if Tesla was gonna go to ten thousand dollars and nobody could, nobody would make sense it, of
0: it. It doesn't even. It's, it's, it's not even. I mean, right now people assume Tesla is still a bubble. It's when you can't even fathom something, and you short it. And so, but he, th- there's a cost to being a, a real systems thinker. People ostracize
1: you. They think you're People,
0: people ostracize you and because the hard part is timing. So even if you know something's going to collapse, what's hard to know is the timing. When is it going to collapse? And so he enters into a... Um, he, enter, he, he goes to different banks and he creates a short position. He creates an instrument that doesn't even really exist to short all this entire debacle. But his timing is off by like two years, right? Yeah, it's just like the people who are shorting Tesla. They're, They're probably b- going to
1: be making, not making money for, like the people who shorted GameStop right before. Now it's going
0: down, but back then. Exactly, but imagine that's going for two years, and he's, I mean, he's getting sued by the very people that. Um, gave him money. The very people giving him money, and he made, I think of them half a billion dollars or something like that in the end. So what ended up happening? He made the money, they just stopped suing him? yeah, they still, yeah, eventually they stopped suing him and he's now he, now he's ultimately correct and there's a movie about him and we're talking about him. So the, the key thing there is that his ability to see the entire system and take a step back and widen his gaze, that, that he's an example of somebody who's able to see the system, but there's a cost to seeing the system. And what's hard to predict is when things are going to happen right that's the very very difficult part it's like
1: knowing a bus is gonna come and and you take your kids out to wait for the bus all day and they just start yelling at you like it's cold but eventually the bus is gonna come but you don't know when
0: you mentioned the u.s you know government before and in many ways it's hurdling towards collapse
1: the government or the market
0: the government itself i mean it's unbelievably like it's in debt that's you know, it's, it's catastrophic how much debt it's in, the national debt, and even the national debt that we that's currently um, stated, people say it's we- severely understated. And deficit spending and spending on the military and spending on all this kind of stuff and printing money and quantitative easing, it's like a massive Titanic situation. So even people who are predicting it, who are true systems thinkers the hard part is predicting when it's going to happen and the other hard part is correcting it correcting it by definition is almost impossible
1: correcting it, the 30 trillion dollar debt do,
0: doing the doing the things required to correct the ship and that's because presidents are in a 4 year cycle And it's going to take a lot longer than four years to correct the debt. And the things that they have to do to correct, not just the debt, to correct the systemic problems are going to take 20 years. And so nobody is going to campaign on, hey, I'm going to do these most unpopular things and and austerity measures and do this and shrink that uh, so that we can benefit from this in in 15 years. They're going to come in and promise new spending, new projects, new things. And so... That's one of the issues with solving systemic problems in the U S is that you're on a four year cycle similar to, let's just say Yusuf gets, Yusuf gets, uh, is now the CEO of a large company in the U S. All right. Uh huh. And you walk in and it's a hot mess. There's lots of problems. And you have to make some very, very difficult decisions, very unpopular decisions. One of the problems that you're going to have is that most U.S. companies are publicly traded, which means earnings get... Every, everybody knows what you're making. And if, it, and if it looks like now
1: you're making less money, then everybody's going to hate you.
0: Yeah, exactly. You like, oh, Even
1: though with the CEOs before, you're probably using temporary measures like, re- like firing people to make their costs seem less.
0: Exactly. They'll make short-term local optimization thinking mistakes to drive up the stock price, which they're gonna, which will impact you in the long term. Right? Short-term solutions, remember, impact you in the long term. Yeah. And so doing the things required to actually solve, um, doing the things that required to actually solve the systemic problems, incredibly unpopular, takes a very long time, is very, very painful and unless you're willing to stay the long haul, almost impossible to get done. Yeah. And so so some interesting things about a system is that systems actually behave in predictable ways. So once you understand that everything's interconnected, everything's a system, there's systems within systems. If you locally optimize something, you suboptimize the whole that's one sort of tenant of a system fix focus on something you got the peril of everything else and the story another story i say in some of my classes to illustrate this is gateway computers and so gateway computers is this huge computer company in the late 90s you do you know have you ever heard of gateway no okay back then gateway was bigger than apple and bigger much bigger than dell dell was crap back then there's no xps 13 it was like plastic crap, and what Apple was Gateway. Gateway was what Apple is now, not quite as big, but it was the computer you bought your mother. It came in big. Oh, oh, oh! Yes, I've I've heard of it. I've heard of this. The PR was the best in the world. and yeah, exactly. It wasn't their PR. Their customer service yeah, was the best right, in the, the world. Customer service. And one of the things they decided to do was hire somebody who can come in and and reduce the cost of their customer service because it's so expensive. And they're a public trade company. And when a company is publicly traded, uh, you always have to drive cost. You have to drive revenue. You have to make more money, more profit. And one of the ways, easiest ways to drive profit... Is to let people go and make things cheaper? Make things cheaper, right? And so they bring in this guy and he's now locally optimized on one area, customer service. Customer service at that point was... Similar to the way, the way Zappos is now, you get somebody very easily, and they'll spend a long time with you on the phone. Yeah, people in expensive locations willing to spend a long time with you on the phone equals lots of money. Phone lines and everything. So he comes in. He's bring, he's given to a target, right? And he does the normal playbook. So if you're if you're brought in, and let's just say customer service costs a hundred million dollars a year. They give you a target of fifty million or twenty five million. What's he gonna do? Let everybody go in and then move it all to the Philippines. Exactly, and he does something like that. And once you do something like that, what happens to customer service? Goes down the hole. Then why why should you spend so much money on a gateway? Why can't you go to the next best thing? Yeah, if if that's a defining feature, then. And so they. Locally optimize part and suboptimize the whole. So that's another example. Now it's easy to say in hindsight these stories. It's much, much harder to be able to be a systems thinker, to see the system. So, what are some ways, some tools, some ideas to help you and I become a systems thinker? The first is realizing. The existence of a cogn- your cognitive biases, or another way of saying it is a mental model. So in the same way as local optimization is a fancy word, another fancy word that you should know that will make you sound smart is mental models. Okay. So a mental model is a model you create to see the world. All right. So and you've created it, and it's not neutral. It's based on your your own experiences, right? And so you are, Yusuf, getting so much information thrown at you all day on your computer, in life, as you walk down the street. You see a dog. There's so much input. You're hearing, smelling, and seeing, and touching so much input. It's actually overwhelming. So one of the things in your software is to create models to deal with things. So a mental model will be Dog running, dog near me. Well, maybe this is a bad example for Istanbul because they're all sleeping. <laughs> but in general, you'll have mental models that deal with different situations and different people, and you'll oversimplify certain things. Um, so, it's just how you're cal- calibrated. It's how, it's the models that you create in your mind based on your experiences to help you to deal with the world. Because you're not going to sit there and think through every, every input all day, every day, right? If you see a, a sibling run towards you, what are well, you automatically going to? G- give him a hug? No, you're definitely not going to give him a hug. Or push you're him probably, out of the way? Yeah, you probably brush him out of the way. I wish you'd give him a hug. But yeah, so you create models of seeing the world. You might, And another wor- way of... Understanding this is, or another term is cognitive biases. That's another form or another way of understanding mental models. So you have a way of viewing the world. Now, in all likelihood, that way is not correct. It's an abstraction. It's a model. It's useful, but it's also never accurate. So what's the best way to improve your mental model have have people
1: the sources that you get your information from and help you create your model have to be very diverse because say I'm thinking about my my political mindset If I'm listening to only left-wing people of course I'm going to be left-wing but if I'm listening
0: to right-wing I'm going to be right-wing so I have you have to do something in the middle and listen to both So, that's a really good example. So, we actually live in the world of mental models now, right? So, uh, Orange Man, bad. Yeah. Right? Trump, bad. Uh, MSNBC, good. Fox News, bad. Fox News, good. MSNBC. Biden, old. Biden, old. Biden, crazy. And we just reduce the, you know, vegans, this. Vegans, we're just, we're quickly creating mental models. Yeah. You know? Muslims equal bad, you know. You know, Muslims equal peaceful. Muslims equal, you know, terrorist. All this kind of stuff. People are boiling people down and mental models, and they fall in love with these mental models, right? So you said one way to improve your mental models is by listening to diverse sources. Yeah which is very, very difficult to do, but let's th- th- there's, there's truth in that. The first thing you need to do to be able to see a system truly as it is, is to know that you are actually not seeing the system as it is, but rather through your own filter, through your own use of filter, through the existence of your own mental models. Right. So the first part is to know that mental models exist. Okay, you have that, to identi- You have to. You have to understand that you they exist. Yeah, you have to understand that you exist and your view of the world is flawed. It's biased. It's biased, and it's and biased is a negative term. So the systems thinking community like to use mental models, which sounds better, um, but in reality, it's biased. It's biased. Or it's or it's incomplete. So you think you understand the world, right? You see probably a tiny fraction of anything of, of anything. And you're at the age where you probably think you really get things. I'm the smartest in the room. And it's, you know, that whole curve. You know, a little bit of da- a little bit of knowledge is very very dangerous. You know, you eventually learn enough to realize you don't know anything. Exactly. Right? And so the first part of being able to see a system is to understand that you're seeing the system through a filter and that filter is your mental model. And that's the first part. It exists. So what's the second part? The second part is to really surround yourself with other people who are looking at the system from various perspectives. So now you are a collective people, a group of people, that are seeing the same thing from different perspectives. So imagine <coughs> you have a group of really tiny people looking at an elephant.
1: It's going to be the biggest thing in the world.
0: Like like You are like some tiny people looking at an elephant. And somebody says, Yusuf, what does the elephant look like? And you say, it looks like a really long nose. And so you, you ask somebody else, what do you think the elephant looks like? like Yusuf is an idiot. It looks like a tree trunk because they're staring at what?
1: A very long nose. Oh, the legs? They're a leg. Yeah.
0: Right? Everybody's looking at different things and assuming it's the same thing. And they're fighting. And they're they're saying, What the hell is this guy talking about? This elephant doesn't look like a long nose. It looks, and you're like, It looks like a tube. And you think, No, it looks like a tree trunk. And they go, It doesn't look anything like that. It looks like actually a really thin thing. And because they're looking at the tail. That's, so you're surrounded by people like that. But in that case, those people are debating what the elephant is, Uh and the truth is, it's they're all correct, obviously,
1: because they're all looking at different things. But not they're all looking at different things and describing them right. But they're not stopping to think, and what they're not stopping to think, what's the other person talking about? Because
0: they're violating the first step I told you, which is they're not aware of mental models, and everybody sees a small thing in our world. It's your experiences are what shape what you see of the elephant okay okay so let's just say you meet a you're walking up to Angela, angela right towards our house and you see an elderly turkish man and he's feeding a cat and he looks at you and he smiles Turkish people are the most friendly people in the world and they're loving and they care and they're never angry. Exactly. And, and then you see somebody uh, and then another person has the exact opposite. Kick the cat? No, not they'll never kick the cat in Istanbul but they'll not be, they'll not be kind. They'll be mean and they'll tell them to go back to Syria or whatever and all that. <laughs> and so two people have completely different takes and they have now instantaneously as part of the miraculous nature of being a human they form the mental model. And... People sometimes believe that these mental mouths to be the absolute truth. So how do you overcome that? So going back to the elephant example, you have everyone engaged into a debate, which is like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. You're an idiot. The elephant looks like this or the elephant looks like that. In the systems thinking world, there is the notion of a dialogue versus a debate. Okay, so just talking versus arguing. Well, de- debate, uh, debate and discussion generally comes. It's almost like you know percussion. It's there's a, there's like think of it like a a ping pong game. You say something, then you throw the ball to me, and I say something, and eventually somebody wins. There is a there's a winner to the debate. Just ants. Right, it ends with a winner, and that winner generally is either, either the most clever, or the strongest, or the loudest, or everyone's boss or parent, exact Because parents always win the debate. Absolutely right. A dialogue is when there is no winner; everyone's winning because everyone's trying to seek the truth. Everyone's trying to come together to learn, and they're all aware of their own cognitive biases. And they're like, so for example, imagine you say, "I see a snail." You know a long, you know the the I see a long, long tube. Yeah, and you said and somebody say well no, I see a tree trunk. I go interesting. You see a tree trunk. I say, see... how wide is that tree trunk? Where are you looking? Where are you looking? And all this kind of and then eventually, the group through dialogue, by suspending their own actively suspending their own mental models and trying to understand, understand then realizes, when elephant actually is. Uh huh. That. Happens through dialogue. Through assuming you are wrong or you are incorrect in your understanding, and through true, genuine dialogue, you got to understand what the real elephant looks like. The elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. Right? And that happens with dialogue. And so, dialogue is one of the key components or tools in actually understanding the system. You want to understand how this world works and hangs together or how an organization hangs together and how the system works, functions and how it genuinely functions. Then you get a group of people with different perspective and engage in real, meaningful dialogue. And the best example of a person that does this, an organization that actualizes this is Ray Dalio. And Bridgewater Capital. Really? Yes. That's what makes him successful. And is that he has a zero ego policy. All he cares about in his company is that the best ideas come forward. His company is based and built on dialogue. And so he's one of the richest men in the world. But it doesn't matter. There's no ego there. He's trying the best ideas to come forth. So he might have a mental model that says Bitcoin is stupid. And but
1: if a chief scientist or a chief engineer or programmer comes up to him and tells him otherwise, he won't be like, nah, I'm a billionaire, I know more than you.
0: Exactly. And that's his competitive advantage. His competitive advantage, the thing that makes him successful and rich is that the successful and rich part hasn't come hasn't gone to his head and so he's built a company and a culture around dialogue and the th- same thing applies even in a family you'll have a perspective your wife will have a perspective your children will have a perspective and one thing that parents do and children do together and that everyone does is there's like a d- debate and many times the perspective of the eight year old it can genuinely sway the parent if the parent stops and really listens to what they're saying. Yeah. So sometimes they're saying but blah 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 they're desperately trying to get their perspective across or there's some seeming injustice that's happened in their lives and we just don't want to hear it. So we will just clamp it down. And so dialogue in all its forms, is a way in which you will really succeed. It will enable you to succeed. But the cost is assuming that your own mental models, which people hold on to their life, is flawed. Is flawed. And by definition, it's always flawed. And the best way to get to where it's not flawed or better, or improve the fidelity of the mental model is through genuine dialogue with other people, right? So that you can see the entire elephant. And then when everyone sees the whole elephant, you have something that's truly unique, which is what's called a shared mental model, where when everyone says elephant, they see elephant. Yeah. And that's a hallmark of a really great team or a really great partnership another way to be able to see the system is to become very good at diagramming
1: what's diagramming what do you mean by like diagramming draw-
0: drawing the interactions of the system like when you're trying to understand something you should go directly to the whiteboard and start drawing it out and Great teams will always go to the whiteboard to draw something out and understand the interactions of everything. So imagine you, I just described to you the U.S. economy. Yeah. Or in 2008, why there was a collapse. We should go to the whiteboard or the computer or something and together diagram the entire system. And there's actual notations, way of diagramming systems and really useful things for you to learn. Um, the one that's popular in the systems thinking world is called a causal loop diagram, or a CLD. And it's actually a way to diagram and understand the system and understand the effects of something. So, I'll, gi- I'll give you an example. Of okay. course, we, we can't draw it, but you're going to have to really tr- attempt to draw this. But this is a great way of understanding different aspects of systems thinking so i i pre-covid traveled a lot right traveled a lot and it was really important for me to be constantly alert right so i'm going to a client they're paying a certain amount of money for me i can't come in and say i'm just not feeling it today let's do it tomorrow guys let's do it tomorrow guys that's I always have to be, hey guys, what's going on? You know, I have to be on. Because 'cause they're paying for that. They have to pay they're paying for they're not paying for me to come in and say, oh, you guys had a really tough flight. And so I I need to optimize for alertness. I need to be always on. And so I'm on an overnight flight going from here to here to here. I'm tired. What's the quick fix? Coffee. Coffee. The quick fix is coffee. And in system thinking you learn Quick fixes are always slower. That's another thing you should remember. The quick fix is almost always slower, and I'll prove to you. So I'm really tired. I go and I have a nitro cold brew, which was my drink of choice for a while. And what happens after I have it? You're awake. Yeah. I have. I have the feedback I needed. I feel. I feel good. Now, what's my mental model? Now, that's been established. When I'm coffee tired... Coffee
1: makes you better, and it's going to make
0: you money. Coffee is going to make me money, right? Coffee is not black, it's green. <laughs> <laughs> and so, now I have a new mental model, and I have a feedback cycle that's constantly reinforcing itself. And so, but here's the problem when you're not a systems thinker. You, you st- your mind stops at that point. But now, you drink coffee, and your tiredness goes down. And that's the relationship that you see. You see cause and effect, and you, or you think you see it. But what's the unintended effects if you're c- to continue modeling something? So, I increase my coffee intake. What's the unintended... What else goes up or down?
1: You're going to become more dependent on... You're going to have to have more of it, because eventually one
0: cup won't be enough. Okay, so your resistance... So... Imagine coffee is a dial and you control that dial. The higher that dial goes, the re- the resistance also goes up. So Your imagine, tolerance. imagine my tolerance is a variable. And as I'm increasing the caffeine intake, the tolerance goes up. And so that's a loop that never stops, right? Yeah. It keeps. It's a reinforcing loop. <coughs> and as my caffeine goes up and my tolerance goes up, what's another variable that will go up or down? How much you drink how much you drink exactly so now as the tolerance goes up you're gonna have to drink more as you drink more you'll actually urinate more so you your dehydration goes up so as your dehydration goes up as you're more dehydrated your alertness actually goes down because you're dehydrated so what do you do?
1: You go to the bathroom.
0: You're gonna go to the bathroom, but you're more, now de- you're, you're constantly thirsty, so you You're more constantly dehydrated, and you're your alertness is gonna go down. You're gonna drink more coffee, so there's a reinforcing loop that starts drinking. You tr- start drinking more and more caffeine. So, what's a long term? Co- so, as you're drinking conf- caffeine, what's what's that gonna impact?
1: How tired you are after after the day ends.
0: But you're so caffeinated. What's gonna be impacted? Your sleep. Your sleep. So the more caffeine, imagine, imagine another more vari-
1: caffeine you drink, the less sleep you get, the less sleep you get, the more tired you are. So the more caffeine you drink, so the less you can sleep and it just keeps going.
0: Okay. So now we're at the point where we're realizing that as you're dialing up the caffeine, uh, the sleep quality variable is going down and your dehydration is also going down. And so your cognitive ability is going to go down, which would drive you to drink more caffeine. Now, In systems thinking, the real danger in quick fixes is felt over the very long period of time. So what happens if your sleep quality starts going, getting worse and worse? Your mental state deteriorates. Your mental state deteriorates. And, And now do that for a month or a couple of years. What do you think will happen? Depression. Yeah, it can actually cause anxiety. Anxiety starts going up uh which can then feel like depression and i heard this psychologist say that the majority of his particular cases and i'm not i'm just quoting a psychologist can be solved by people getting constant good night's sleep and then they talk about things like adrenal fatigue right from doing these things for very long periods of time you know anxiety crashes, depression, or what feels like depression, etc. And all of this started with what? A cup of coffee. With a quick fix. And so when you actually take a piece of paper and pen and draw this whole thing out with variables, you can really learn a lot. And if you draw these things out with colleagues or friends or family, because you're going to get their perspectives. Like we just did an exercise now. But imagine you are doing this with your football team or, uh, other college colleagues, you know, in the class, you can really learn a lot about the system. So, so two tools to see a system is, or three recognize mental models exist. You have a cognitive bias, um, engage in dialogue over debate and learn to model the system with, ideally with other people is that the secret to being a consultant no that's another podcast altogether mm. so i'm just trying to think do i want you to know anything else i think that's good enough for now because it's a really really big subject i mean how do you feel about this so i think i th- i'm i think i'm fine
1: with it like like having like like if you're asking how i've absorbed it i think i understand i understand the whole concept of mental models and system thinking And local optimization because you explained it well. So I don't think I have any problems with it.
0: And you think, how is this going to, so you intellectually think you get it. How does this impact your life? How does this impact my life? Or or will it or does it or is this useful? I mean, if you, so one thing you
1: talked about is stepping back, right? So a big problem sometimes when you get into an argument is you become entrenched in your side and nothing's going to change that. But if you step back, or if you or if you step back early and you look at the whole problem, and you may realize that you're in the wrong, it can hel- it can help you in the long run, because this arguing is just making yourself feel better, right? So if you st- that's the quick fix. If you step back and you take a look at it and use systems thinking and use why are we arguing? Is am
0: I am I even right? It can help you. And I get into arguments a lot. It's not am I right? You are never right. Is my point. Nobody is ever right. Everybody is wrong and right. Every debate and every argument you have is an opportunity to learn from the other person. That's the mindset you need to take into this. Imagine the discourse on the internet if everyone believed they were mostly wrong and partially right. And every... It would be great. It would be great. But instead... Everybody
1: thinks they're right and everybody else is wrong. And
0: they hold on to their mental models for dear life and only fragile people should do that or do that because their entire worldview would fall apart and so every opportunity that you have where you feel the inclination to fight should be an opportunity for dialogue for you to learn that's that's that would be a useful skill that would really serve you all
1: right thanks baba